what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson jr john Morantz, joe johnson Ja raps of course we got jays we got for days josh how you doing did you see what Josh ja said after i think it was monday the altercation he had with tony bradley I did not. I saw was... I saw Steven Adams pick up Tony Bradley and carry him to half court and then saw the Grizzlies PR account, maybe basically say so the <laughs> they they tweeted a picture like a still of Steven Adams holding Tony Bradley. And they said for every 25 likes. Steven Adams will carry Tony Bradley closer to the United Center for Tony's next game. <laughs> and so, like, the next thing in the thread was, like, him outside of FedEx Forum. And then it was on the bridge from Memphis into Arkansas. And then it was them on the side of the road, like, in the middle of nowhere on the interstate. And then it was them in uh, at throw rolls which is uh lambert's throw rolls it's in missouri it's on the way to chicago it's it's at least a big deal around the south but anyways and then it, they were under the arch in st louis and then they were um and, and then they were outside of chicago and then they were you know on the subway and then they were outside of the it was phenomenal incredible social media strategy there but i did not actually see what Josh said it was just the most memphis thing of all time i'm sure the, the, the first question the first question was about the altercation and he was just saying yeah he, he pulled my shirt and i told him to stop and he didn't i'm not about that and then mm-hmm. the, and then a reporter i think it was more of a follow-up statement than a question somebody just said and then Stephen Adams just picked him up, and Ja, without hesitation, goes, as he should. <laughs> and then he said, because I would do the same thing for Stephen Adams. And that thought just will not leave my head of the idea of Ja picking somebody. Not that I doubt Ja would do it, but just mm-hmm. the idea of Ja picking somebody up because Stephen Adams needs some assistance. Right. Well, we'll never stop being entertaining. That, that anybody that that in any situation Stephen Adams might look like he's vulnerable <laughs> right. as a human. Right. Right. But the, the as as he should just killed me. <laughs> there might not be a better side by side than Stephen Adams and his draft night picture. Or like the, oh, f- yeah. the very first pictures that were taken of him in an Oklahoma City Thunder uniform. Yeah. Because he's tattooless. He's facial hairless. He's ponytail list yep. and he's about 60 pounds closer to zero than and now he's this in in no worse shape just this massive human being with more hair than i'll ever see in my right. life all of all of his defining features just weren't there and, when he was and then he's got this this elegant sleeve of a tattoo and he's just an animal he's really quite intimidating and he probably couldn't be less intimidating in his oklahoma city thunder like Mm -hmm. preliminary photos but um but yes he is predictably somebody that the memphis fan base is a fan of he's about as close as zach rand to zach randolph as you can get from a from a the way he goes about being the most 
physical force on the court and not going to be pushed around by anybody. There aren't many people that are closer to that Zach Randolph category than than Stephen Adams. I believe that's exactly what I said to you when I saw he got traded. It's that yeah. he just need, he needed to be a Grizzly, whether you like it or not. Yep. <laughs> it, it just it makes sense. At some point, he he needed to be a Grizzly just to just to finish finish things up. Um, it's been a busy last couple days around the college basketball world. And that's typically what happens when we get into the depths of conference play that teams lose that shouldn't lose. I mean, teams, we just see more close games teams lose that shouldn't. Sometimes we see even in close games, performances and outcomes that we weren't expecting to happen. And, and if nothing else, good, good college basketball uh, on a nightly basis when we get into conference play and we have some, interesting outcomes to get to here over the last couple of days. Um, some that involve teams that we were incredibly high on just three days ago. Um, was it three days ago that we did final four power rankings? Was it a week ago? Was that Monday? No, it was a week ago. Was that Thursday of yeah. last week? Or was that Monday? Anyways, teams that it we... Was Thursday teams that we were certainly high on losing to teams in situations that we never especially saw coming. Oh, right. We did conferences on Monday's podcast. Yes. They all run together. All of these podcasts run together, but so we need to talk about them. It's been a little while since we just had a, here's what happened around the sport kind of podcast. And that's what we're going to do today. Josh, you know, there are a lot of things that are that, that are complicated. I feel that we can make this not complicated and just go in a, relatively chronological order and start on Tuesday and work our way closer to 8.42 a.m. on this Thursday morning. Is that okay with you? That is fine. The Duke Blue Devils. Perhaps not a loss that is quite as like, come on, you can't let that one happen because they, in the last, especially since Leonard Hamilton and Florida State have maintained their spot especially towards the top of the acc but also just towards the top of the sport they've always been a tough game for duke especially in tallahassee especially during conference play and once again a florida state team that i don't know if under the radar is the right way to put it but perhaps a team that we there have been several years the last you know handful where we get to this point it's like that leonard hamilton florida state team they are not, they are really, really not fun to play against. They are top 15 at Kempom. They have a NBA level talent um, that is like lottery pick-esque. And you should be scared of them, especially when it comes to the tournament. This Florida State team, 11 and 5 after this Duke win. Uh, 49th at Kempom, so just inside the top 50, sandwiched between West Virginia and Providence, and behind teams like Murray State, UAB, and Memphis. So Certainly more in the uh, still an above average basketball team, but not exactly one that gets talked about on the national level all that much. But on Tuesday, 79-78 win in overtime. And um, now, and we've been kind of talking about this quite a bit now, Florida State five and two in conference, Miami six and one, the Duke Blue Devils four and two, a game and a half back at this point of first place. Uh, and tied with three other teams that are four and two in the conference. Um, 
what say you about any of those things? And if you just want to dive straight into this game that uh, was an overtime thriller, um, then then we can do that. But what say you about this Florida State Duke matchup? Yeah, I mean, this Florida State team is strange just because, and I think maybe not written them off, but just kind of disregarded them because of the start. They just weren't good. Yeah. Now they're playing good basketball. And like every team in the ACC, <laughs> if you string enough wins and get games like this one, which I was going to say the same thing you did, I don't care what team Leonard Hamilton's thrown out there, what kind of struggles they've had, the way that that program is operating right now great teams don't win that game usually right they've been terrific especially in acc play right earlier this year they had that i think it was 25 games or something maybe even longer home conference winning streak snap so that's that happens and now they're playing well so this is a completely understandable loss and you pointed out that right duke's acc title hopes are basically going to come down to four games and it just so happened that one of them was the next one they played Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they could easily go on and recover from this. They're still right in this thing. It didn't help that Miami blew the doors off North Carolina mm-hmm. or from Duke's perspective. But yeah, the loss in and of itself is totally understandable. And all of a sudden, right, Florida State, you got a lot of winnable games in this conference. You put together a stretch like this and you keep it going. Maybe they're not going to get to the three or four seed they usually do, but they can absolutely be one of those teams that come out of nowhere and you want no part of them come March because they're playing much better basketball and obviously have been there plenty of times before Mm -hmm. and have all the things you don't want to deal with in the NCAA tournament. (laughs) And on the, on the specifics of the game, I mean, Duke's defensive numbers looked really solid this box score makes no sense well the fact that duke lost this game is preposterous if i told you especially from a percentages perspective if i told you if i gave you the splits for these two teams you'd be like how in the hell did duke lose this game because i'm still a little bit trying to figure it out to be honest with you well the two things that stood out to me three things duke lost a turnover battle by 10 that doesn't help now that was because Florida State just didn't turn the ball over. It's not like Duke turned it over 30 times, but they didn't take great care of the basketball. As a result of partially that, Florida State got 18 more shots and took seven more free throws. Not to mention they had 19 offensive rebounds. That doesn't help either. Yeah, They got a bunch. They got – I mean, that is – I don't remember if I've ever seen a game – now, I don't always look at this, but with that kind of disparity in shot attempts. They mm-hmm. just got more opportunities because of the turnovers and the, the offensive rebounding. So the little things Duke didn't do particularly well in this game and still almost won, which is a testament to this team. And I'm, I'm not going to change my tune on them. I still think they're going to win the conference. It is a jumbled mess right now, but this is a game I'm not surprised they lost. That Duke sometimes loses anyway, or Virginia loses anyway, just because it's a really tough place to play. This isn't one of those head scratchers this is well that happens to even the best teams in the country i will say that every time they step on the floor and lose that i get a little bit closer to like okay are they actually gonna like because you can't like is winning four of every six games you play enough to win the conference if you ask me before the the other teams that are at the top of the conference with right right 
I, I I'm not sure if the answer to that question is like in the next 14 games, if you go four and two across the net, right. If they're sitting at 12 and six, 18 games in, are they winning the conference right now at, no. at that point? No, probably not. I mean, if they get to the point where they're eight and four, how far are they behind? Because for Miami to go eight and four, they have to go two and three in their next five games. And I don't know off the top of my head who Miami has next, but like at some point when you're six and one and you have wins at Duke and you beat UNC by 30, at some point we actually have to talk about you as a team that's actually capable of winning the conference Mm -hmm. because you've, you've done quite a bit of the battle at this point, if you've beaten those two teams and you know, they, it's not like this, you know, they get Florida state next and they've already lost to Florida state once, but they only lost to Florida state by one. Like that's their lone loss is a one point loss at Florida state, a loss that also Duke has a one point loss at Florida state. Um, but after Florida state, they go Virginia tech, Georgia tech, Notre Dame, Virginia, Georgia tech, wake forest, Louisville, Virginia, Pittsburgh, Virginia tech, Boston college, Syracuse. They don't play one of those three teams that we're talking about as that we're really taking seriously to win this conference. Mm-hmm after that so i'm the point being is that miami is not going to have to do anything they haven't already done other than just keep winning games to win this conference so at some point duke's got to win games at a higher clip or it's just going to get and that's an obvious thing to say but right we're already a third of the way through the conference schedule it's not like this is game four and it's like, okay, two and two, like, yeah, that's, that's okay. This team is four and oh, and it's, we don't really believe in that team, even though they're four and oh, but when you've played seven games, like Miami has, and you're six and one at some point, it's like, okay, maybe this is just what Miami's going to do. They're going to win. They're going to make Duke win 16 conference games to win the conference. And at this, this point, that would mean that Duke would have to go 12 and two in their next 14 conference games. And that's, something that not even the best of Duke teams have done in the last 10 years is win that many games um, to, to have that high of a win percentage when it comes to, to ACC play. Yeah, I'm definitely feeling less confident as we go along. I'm just to the, the point where I still think they do it as long as they avoid the really bad loss. Maybe a split with North Carolina, but that's about all you can afford because, yes, it – that Miami schedule is backloaded and they're doing just fine on the front end. Mm-hmm. They're going to win a lot of games. And yes, they have the benefit of an easier schedule, but also, as you pointed out, they've beaten the other teams for the most part, the, right. the other really good teams they've played in Duke and North Carolina. And that's what's setting, I mean, like, that's what's setting them yeah. apart because yep. now, right, Duke, you could argue that Duke hasn't even lost the games that they're susceptible to losing yet. Right, oh, because they've uh, lost absolutely. to the two teams that are ahead right. of them. Right, I'm almost expecting them at some point to go and lose to Notre Dame or go and lose to wait to like you know at Boston College or something. Like we might still be waiting for that game. That's like, whoa, come on, Duke. And we thought maybe it was that Miami game, but Miami is doing just fine still, and maybe they're just a quality basketball team. Anyways, um, all of a sudden we have some more of those in the ACC. It's kind of nice. <laughs> it is nice. It is nice. I won't go all the way to the ACC is all of a sudden good, but perhaps they're the top of the conference is a little deeper than 
and, and they're also just right. If you add one team to that mix, like Leonard Hamilton knows how to go and win a bunch of ACC conference games and Duke, because they're so skilled is going to win 12, 13 conference games without even trying really. And then, so if you add one more team to that mix, then you've got a, you've got a team, you've got a conference that looks a little bit better, especially at the top, but that was the, you know, to what actually happened on the floor. If you told me Duke was going to shoot 50% from the field, 43 and a half percent from the three point line. And the other team was going to shoot 35% from the field and 28% from the three point line. And they were going to lose. I'd be really, really surprised because that's not painting the picture. That's painting a picture of, careless mistakes and not doing the little things rather than not showing up on the defensive ends, which is what we were talking about yep. uh, the last week and a half or so with, with this Duke team, where would you show? Okay. We're going chronological, right? Hold on. Sorry. One moment. Take this Stand pretty by. seriously. Stand by. Stand by Tuesday. Gorgeous date. Um, Actually we're already out of order. Really? I, I how what's next? Well, what did I do? Kansas played before Duke. Then why are they higher up on the list of, listen, I didn't specify how chronological we were going. I, could I thought that's talking, what you were trying to figure out. <laughs> I could, I could, I could just be going chronologically based on the day. Yes. Okay. We can stick with that. Yeah. Let's go to so, Kansas. So we're still, we're still locked in. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, whatever stupid blue devils every time i refresh this page i see butler lose another game by 25 to another by at least 15 to a another big east foe they set some record by the way for like most like straight losses against top 25 teams by more than 15 points something like that it's a tough one um the jayhawks however went on the road to the fighting porter mosers of oklahoma and got a 67 64 win I'm a little sad because David McCormack returned to irrelevancy with his six points on three of seven shooting and four rebounds after his 19 and 15 performance. But with that being said, Jalen Wilson, 16, eight and two Christian Brown, 15 and four, three of five from the three point line. Ochai Baji had an okay night, not a great one. Got a little bit of look at Mitch Lightfoot. That guy's been in college for 24 years at this point. Um, adding to, uh, you know, helping out a little bit. And the Jayhawks on a night where offense was few and far between for both teams, neither team cracking 48% from the field, um, and Oklahoma being 4 of 17 from the three-point line, able to come away from from Norman with a 67-64 win. Jayhawks 4-1 and one in conference and uh, alone at this point atop the Big 12 standings. And they had this game under control, and Ochai Baji hadn't scored early in the second half. Mm. And then it just all fell apart. And then they pulled it back together again, which is a testament to this team because Bill Self was not a happy man. It just – they couldn't do anything for a stretch in the second half, and, can't, and Oklahoma put together this monster run to take control of the game again. But they just kept fighting. Abaji came to life. And again, those three wings did enough between them with the defense to get this done against an Oklahoma team that still struggles to generate offense sometimes. But it's, I mean, it's still the same general story, right? You said, right, McCormick, Remy Martin didn't give you much help. 
Christian Brown hit a big three at the end. They just are. I, to me, this is who they are. Is it enough to win the Big 12? It very well might be. Is it enough to win a national championship? Maybe, depending on how good they get defensively, but I'm just not sure you can do it with with three wings, as good as their wings are. But they're finding a way. They're looking like the Kansas team that somehow just manages to win all of these road games that other Big 12 teams lose for understandable reasons. And this is just another example of this was going down a bad path, and all of a sudden they walked down to Norman with a win. I would argue this is not what Kansas is. Kansas is going to win games by three when they struggle to find offense. They're number three offense in the country, according to Kempom. Are we talking about how they win games in the Big 12? Because yeah. this, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm expecting more from their three wings on a nightly basis than this. Yeah, no, no, I meant in the Big 12. Right. I'm th- even when things aren't going well, it's still see they still manage to win games like this that other teams would lose. That's what I meant. Gotcha. I I will continue to be. I mean, it's just like like I I would love to understand why. What about Remy Martin makes him detrimental to winning basketball? Because like he just keeps like he. Remy Martin shouldn't only be playing fifteen minutes and taking five shots. Like what happened? What did Bill Self learn in the last two months? since the season started that that he didn't know about Remy Martin beforehand injury struggles or not like if the guy can play and you actually and he actually was anywhere close to the guy that you thought you were getting when he came from Arizona State then he would be playing i mean like he has literally never averaged fewer points and he's been in this the sport since 2017-18 he averaged more points as a freshman than he is right now there's i mean it, i just would have never guessed that it would get to the point where we're where they're so wing dependent mm-hmm. when they brought in a guy like remy martin not to mention that they also brought in a guy that we also thought was going to be an important part of this and Joseph Yusefu, and that dude played two minutes last night. I was surprised and, he got on the floor. Right. And we're talking about a guy who's playing 7.7 minutes a game. Yeah. Like, and we talked about this a lot earlier in the week about how this Kansas team, while there are some things that are exactly the way that I thought they were going to be when it comes to the perimeter guys, Jalen Wilson and Ochai Baji in particular, there are so many parts of this Kansas team that are just not the way that I thought they were going to be on each on each end of the spectrum when it comes to guards and when it comes to their interior presence because they don't really have either and i'm incredibly surprised by that that's now i'm following you that's what i meant by this is who they are gotcha they, they are built around those wings they are not going to transform into a team that plays through david mccormick or that remy martin hitters sorry now i'm now i'm with you. that's what i meant does that make sense yes right that, on another night Baji's going to score 10 points in the first half and they probably win by 10 instead of having to sweat this one out. Mm-hmm. But it is going to be dependent on those three guys to make this happen because 
Remy Martin, I don't believe Remy Martin is going to come out all of a sudden and start averaging 15 a game. Right. And to, to answer your question, I think what Bill Self learned is that the best version of his team doesn't have Remy Martin on the floor. And right. I don't think it, I don't even want to put it on Remy Martin in the he's coming in and trying to take all these shots because that's not really the case. I think he's just trying to learn how to play in an offense that's not centered around him and it's not really going well. I wouldn't exactly describe Remy Martin as a guy who makes other guys better. Right. And so if he's not able to spread, like the margin of which Remy Martin is a net negative is not all that big if you're not letting him basically do whatever he wants. Yeah. So, right, there are questions as to the thought process there. But I I don't think it's that Remy Martin is coming in trying to make – I think it's almost that he's trying too hard not to – take this entire thing over and just can't really figure out how to fit in and do the things he does so well to help this team and provide something different while also right not taking away from the fact that he is not the best player on this team Mm -hmm. i agree i agree anything else on this one no one quick thing on texas tech iowa state before we jump to wednesday if that's okay the Red Raiders scored 72 points against the Iowa State defense while going three of 16 from three. I believe there's an offense in there. It doesn't always come out, but some days there is an offense in there. I'm not going to lie. You telling me that there's an offense in there on a night where they were three of 16 from the three-point line is a pretty bold strategy there, Cotton. But They scored 72 I mean, points still. Yes, but they went to the free throw line 38 times. That's called offense. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure it's just not the refs? Okay, well, can we go to Bama LSU then? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of offense from the But, but this line. is also just the, the Texas Tech team that lost by nine to a Kansas State team that only scored 62. And they shot 12 it, free throws that time. I didn't say so it was like, always there. I said there is an offense in there that comes out sometimes. Okay, I'll, I'll go with the teams that like – always have their offense there and not like need to shoot the go to the charity stripe 40 times to just score 72 points anyways my point is the texas tech can do that and i'm not sure iowa state can sure that's what separates those two teams. okay that's fair but i refuse to to give texas tech offensive props (laughs) because they scored 72 when they got 40 freebies from the stripe lsu yeah Lost at home. Excuse me, not at home. That was a different one. We need to do a panic meter with the Tigers here. Do we need to do a panic meter with the Tigers here? I mean, I can I mean, give my answer real quick. They 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 lost to they lost to the the Razorbacks without yeah. their coach, and then they go to Alabama. This is a more excusable loss because like Alabama, outside the top twenty five at this point, but still, you know, ask Tennessee, tough place to play. Uh, lose 70 to 67. Thank God for Tari Eason, because if he wasn't around, they probably lost this game by 30. And well, him and him and Brandon Murray, really like, I mean, other than that, the offense was completely non-existent. Um, but Jaden Shackelford had 26 for and Javon Quinterly. There it is. When those two guys get going, I mean, yeah. Alabama can beat a lot of different, a lot of teams. They had 43 combined, but Alabama 70, 67, two straight losses for, Will Wade's LSU tag is what say you? Yeah, I'm not panicking about LSU. Are they quite as good as I thought they might be? 
probably not. To me, they're more of a top 15 team than the top 10 team I thought they were. But this was weird because they just didn't do the things they usually do. They lost the turnover battle. They didn't force turnovers, especially in the first half. 20 turnovers. That's a lot of turnovers. Yeah, they didn't take care of the basketball. They didn't get out and run particularly early. Again, 32 free throws. And I will continue to argue that most of that was Alabama driving downhill and just attacking the basket and continuing to get fouled. They just didn't guard the paint well. Now, you got to give them credit for hanging in there without Xavier Pinson and Darius Days gets hurt in this game. So they're shorthanded. They're down two starters and two key players. So to me, if they're healthy and they get things squared away, they're still going to be fine. Now, is this a big deal in terms of their hopes of winning the SEC? Sure. I think that ship is basically That ship has sailed. sailed. Yeah. Right. Especially that, you know, Kentucky found a way to, to beat Texas A&M. So now it's a, if they beat Auburn, or if I, either way, right? Either you've got two teams with one loss or Auburn's beating Kentucky and it's just 10 shoulders above everybody. So that's not great for anybody not named Auburn or Kentucky. Mm-hmm. The other part of this game I want to discuss, as you've, we've talked about before, I'm very big on the, you don't need to start your best five players. Mm-hmm. Alabama managed to find the way in which that is a detriment to you that I had not really considered before. So they give up an and one three at the end of the first half, which they were in control and they cut the deficit to two or something. I don't remember exactly what the number was, but it just took the wind out of their sails because it was unnecessary and made it a one point game. Happen. Sorry. They, they were doing fine. The guards were playing great. And then all of a sudden, it you know, made it a one-possession game. Fediaco misses a dunk to start the second half. And by the time Javon Quinterly actually gets – he came in for free throws. And so by the time he actually touched the ball, they were losing. I hadn't really considered that before. But if you have such a bad stretch – Either at the very, I mean, I guess at the very beginning, but then if the ball goes out of bounds, you can put him in a hundred seconds into the game if you need to. Uh-huh. But he he was on the court for the bad stretch at the end of the first half, particularly one play, and then wasn't on there as LSU took that and carried it into the second half. And so by the time he got into the game, they were losing. Now he came back in and immediately did what he did all game, which was tear this LSU defense to shreds. Mm-hmm. They kept they kept trying to switch stuff, and he just ate him alive it was impressive he some guys just seem to like the whole coming off the bench thing and he's one of them because he was spectacular and so but i hadn't really considered that before that there is <laughs> there is a price to pay when oh and the other part of this was before he got in the game jd davison is just not ready to handle big time defensive pressure yet which is understandable he's a freshman but he had a couple bad bad possessions in there. And all of a sudden it was, we need to get Javon Quinley back in this game. And by that time, LSU was winning, but right. the, the moral of the story here is when those two guards are able to do what they did and Alabama hit some threes, particularly in the first half, they didn't shoot it well overall because LSU's defense was still good. If not, mm-hmm. you know, not, not to the great that it usually is, but yeah, if you don't stop those guards, Bama can, can really cause trouble, but it's now an interesting conversation moving forward of how do you balance this thing? Cause I don't feel great about JD Davis and running this team 
but also there's something special about Javon Quinterly off the bench. The only thing I'll say is what good team ever has their best guard coming off the bench. And that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, right. Like the, the type of guy that is one of your five best players that comes off the bench is like Jamal Crawford. Right. It's, or right. it's Not your, your primary ball. Handler. Right. So th- that would be the only like, like if I'm NATO, it's I'm like, suck it up, find a way to play well when you're in the starting lineup, because we need you to be in the starting lineup. It's not, it's not helpful, right? Like Tari Eason, that guy can come off the bench, yeah. but I, I, I need, I need my facilitator to be able to handle standing on the court when the clock says 2020, it's still 20 zero zero still at the beginning of the game, but, but you're right. There's a, some guys are just, are just like that. And maybe that'll, you know, serve him well at some point in the NBA because he can be a really good backup guard with, sort of that spark that that Quinterly has but maybe Nate Oates is like okay can we get this when you're when you're in the starting lineup as well because we like JD we'll think we think he'll be good but you're just better right now and we need we need to not be hit in the mouth for three minutes before we can get you into the game because you would rather come off the bench but anyways um, he is good and when it comes to to Alabama that's that's the story if those guards get rolling then they're going to be they're going to be hard to beat even on the nights that they don't shoot it well because they still were seven of 34 from the three-point line that's atrocious right and they still found a way to win this game which is a, a testament to how good those guards are are and also how important those guards are to the best version of this team and again they played defense which is something that has not happened all the time this year but that that combination. So they played defense against most of LSU. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they, they were. They LSU were very, now outside the top 100 at Kempom in offensive efficiency. Yeah. One. So two, maybe, this is this is almost shocking. They are 112th in offensive efficiency. They're only. I mean, like the other teams that are like Iowa is outside the top 100 offensive efficiency, uh, defensive efficiency. Um, Iowa State is also outside of the top 100 in offensive efficiency. But that is that is impressive to be 10th at Kempom and be outside the top 100 at something. And, you know, first defensively. And when you when you look at it, they are six efficiency points better than Texas Tech, who's second. Their efficiency on defense is 81.3. Texas Tech is 87.1. They're further away from Texas Tech from one to two than Texas Tech is two to two to like 32-ish. <laughs> They're just short of six, six points better. And so that would be what? 92.9. So that would get you to 30th, sorry, to 21st with Illinois. Anyways, so they play really good defense, and that's why they're where they are. But thank you, thank you for you. thank you for my Kempom. Thank you for uh, humoring my Kempom um, spilling of information as I'm looking at the page here. But um, but yeah, they you know defense 
not quite as difficult against LSU as maybe some other teams, but still, um, you can you you can let two guys combine to score forty five points if you're gonna stop the other guys from you know if the rest of the guys on the floor are gonna score combined twenty two like that's a doable way to approach playing defense. But uh, yeah, now LSU and Alabama both three and three in conference play, and as we touched on, like Auburn six and zero, Kentucky five and one. We're either going to have two six and one teams or a seven and zero and a five and two team. Like if Auburn wins that game, it might be a wrap yeah. already. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, it'll be an interesting race um, between those two teams. Trivia time. Where's Kentucky at Kempom right now? Sixth. Nope. Fourth. Nope. Eighth. Nope. You were going the right direction first. Oh, third. They are third at Kempom. They are the highest-ranked SEC team at Kempom right now. Oh, how about that? Auburn is sixth. I mean, both teams are top 20 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Kentucky up to fourth offensively, 19th defensively. And um, I have to pat you on the back a little bit here because they are they are good on both ends of the floor. And Ty Ty Washington had his big coming-out party the other day. Um, had been good all year, but what he did a couple of days ago against Tennessee, a game where he had 28 points, eight of nine from two point range, two of four from the three point line, six of six, five assists, just two turnovers, three steals. Um, I'm, you know, Severe Wheeler had 21, Oscar Shibway doing his thing, Kellen Grady, four of seven from the three point line. I mean, that's, that was, you know, that's a, anomaly what happened that's an anomaly what happened against tennessee like that's literally the best offensive game (laughs) kentucky's ever played like ever like not this season like literally ever um but they're doing a lot of the things that you said were going to be the reasons that you thought they had a chance to go to the final four this year and um it uh wouldn't surprise me that if we you know, I was a little surprised that when we did our final four thing that you didn't have them somewhere in there just to get them in there yeah um but if we did that in two weeks from now, I think we probably both have Kentucky. Oh yeah, on, on they're that so list. far ahead of LSU on that list for me now. Yeah, yeah. So, I got I got a little too excited about LSU's defense. I will acknowledge that. That's okay. That's very on brand for you. It would yeah. be it, I, I'd have to give you more flack if you <laughs> never got excited about about defense, but that is just not the case. Speaking um, of exciting defense. I mean, if you want to find something exciting about a 57-54 game in which both teams shot 41% or worse from the field, then like like Marquette knocked down 13 threes and managed to only score 57 points. That's impressive. It really is. They went to the free throw line twice. <laughs> yeah. In a in a close game. Like, like in theory, they like like, and I don't know exactly what and I off the top of my head don't know exactly when those free throws happened but like i'm gonna scroll to the end of the game here and like okay it wasn't right at the end of the game no but like it was a defensive stop yeah right you know justin lewis makes a three and then there's a defensive stop so but like that's impressive you scored 39 points from the three-point line and shot 45 percent from out there and you still only scored 57 points but um something that uh we've and maybe it's it is kind of becoming a thing with Villanova that like yeah they're gonna score they're gonna win sixteen conference games or something 
but they're always going to have that. Like one of their losses is going to be a little weird, whether it's like St. John's or Georgetown or whoever it might be. This one is weird. I don't know what's going on here. 57, 54, they lose at home to Marquette, a Marquette team that all of a sudden that like, like, like we're cooking with gas. We're talking about five straight, including wins over Providence and Seton hall, as well as Villanova. They're five and three. And this, of course, you know, coming off the backs of them losing to Xavier, Yukon, and Creighton. And we were like, okay, this could get ugly really quickly. Yep. Instead, they won five in a row. They're five and three, just a game, a half a game back of uh, the top of the conference. <sighs> They're weird, but I love it. Shaka Smart, absolutely in heaven, sort of go quietly going about his, you don't want to play Marquette business uh, up there in, in Wisconsin. Justin Lewis, 21 points. I, this None of this makes sense. What is happening, Villanova? I thought we had gotten to the point where we could count on you to be Villanova and and you go and lay a stinker like this. And like Villanova's top 10 at Kempom in offensive efficiency. Which top 10. doesn't make sense to me, but they always seem to be there. I mean, and we're also talking about there, there's, I mean, we're getting pretty much to the point where everything this year and at the, at Kim Palm at this point is based on what you've actually done this year. Yeah. But I mean, it does help to have Villanova strapped across your chest and they take a bunch of threes, which also makes right. you more efficient. Right. Which is, which, which it does. That's, that's absolutely yeah. true. But this is all weird. 57, 54, Josh, help me make sense of, I it, I mean, like, is oh, Villanova just gonna is Villanova just gonna do this? I mean, like, this is not the. I mean, we have games that they've scored fifty four, thirty six. Like, is this just something that they're gonna be susceptible to to just have these massive stinkers? Because, like, that's that's really that's really tough to to get by and really be confident in a team on a nightly basis if they can just lay a stinker like this on against a frankly aggressively average market i think that hmm, i don't know how i feel about that but first i want to say yeah uh, that was my thought too is you look at that three-point shooting and marquette still only scored 57 points how do you only score? i don't care who's on the other side Right. If you're Marquette and you shoot that well from three, how do you only score 57 points? And to answer your... Still, they had they had almost double the three-point field goal makes than they did two-point field goal makes. <laughs> they had 21 for the entire game. That is... 13 of them were yeah. three-point line. I mean, I guess for, for me, it, I keep... Every time it seems like Villanova is fig, figured out and I have an opinion on them, that opinion then it changes again. To me, it goes back to they don't have very many offensive solutions. It's Colin Gillespie. And there was a stretch where Justin Moore and Eric Dixon were playing really well. They were okay in this game. But there were six total Wildcats who scored. Three of them were in double figures. And they shot 25% from three. That's a problem. Sure. They don't have... I guess ultimately what it is, is they don't have that other guy who can go take a game over, right? 
they can go get you, do what Dante DiVincenzo did or what a Chris Jenkins could do, or maybe even an Omari Spellman, a Michael Bridges, that other guy who can be the best player on the floor on a given night. Maybe he's not your best player, but they just don't have that guy. Justin Moore, every once in a blue moon, maybe does that. But I still don't think there's a real argument that he's your best player on the floor, even if he scores 25 points, because that means Colin Gillespie's setting him up, you know? Right. And, like, like, here's the other thing. And this is in no way me turning on Colin Gillespie. But in this in, in the super elite line of Villanova guards, like Colin Gillespie just isn't at the tippity top of it. Oh no, he's near the bottom. Like, right, and, and and right, and relatively speaking, like <laughs> right. this is a guy who's been a preseason All American multiple times, right? So like, this is all relatively yes. speaking. But my point being is that when you combine a a a lower end of the elite spectrum. Villanova point guard, still very good. I did, do not take this yeah. as I am turning on Colin Glass. No, 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 I'm right there with you. It's the it's the all time great Villanova point guard power rankings. Right, and Colin Gillespie would be near the bottom, and he hasn't. Right, Jalen Brunson that year that he won National Player of the Year, he took like even from the year before when he was incredible, took another ridiculous step the year yep. after. That is one of the best. And when we, you know, last year when we did. I guess a year and a half ago now, geez, Louise, freaking pandemic. Um, when we did, like, there's a reason that Jalen Brunson finished first on our big long list of the best college basketball players of the last 10 years. And he was just like, that's one of the best college seasons I've been like closely watching the sport and seen. He was so good and he took another step. And frankly, and part of it's probably because he got injured and didn't get to spend you know, like he spent a long time to Colin Gillespie just getting healthy. So you don't get to do a ton of improving when you're just working on improving your physical health. And, and I'm sure that's a little bit of a part of it. When you combine that with the fact that their role players are not super role players, they're just role players and you can't completely depend on what you're going to get from them night in and night out like you could a lot of the other ones, especially when you're talking to your Michael Bridges and Mark Spellman's of the world, then you get, you maybe get a, a product that is a little more vulnerable than we're used to seeing Villanova. Um, and the other part is that like, they, there are like seven teams in the country that play at a slower pace than Villanova. Mm-hmm. So when they don't shoot it well, and you would never put their offense in the same category as the Virginia offense, the, you know. Right of those Virginia offenses that you were worried about them ever scoring, but like Virginia was also super, super slow. So when their defense, when their offense wasn't good, it looked even worse. And when your offense isn't clicking, like it wasn't against Marquette, if you don't score it super, super efficiently, like Villanova usually does, but then it's just multiplied and magnified because you don't have as many opportunities. Yeah, it's, it's, a it's good, just sorry. It's a good, not great offense. That's a very good point. Um, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with Duke and Florida State. Florida State shot worse than Duke, but they got to shoot twenty more times, so yeah. they still made one less free, th- one less field goal. Even though, from a opportunity, from a, an efficiency perspective, Duke was far more efficient. But Florida State got so many more uh, uh, 
opportunities that it didn't matter. And it's not like Villanova gets to remedy some of that inefficiency on those nights when they're inefficient by just getting to shoot it a ton of times because they play really fast. And they're also uh, not big, so they don't get a lot of offensive rebounds. You know, yeah, right. there is a, a system in a specific way they play, and it doesn't look pretty, but it doesn't go well. That's a very good point. On the, on the Marquette side, uh, well, the, the first thing we have to talk about Marquette is um, where is, what is Daryl Morcel's three point shooting percentage at this point? Oh goodness. That's not even fair. It's still good. It's still really good. 38%. Better. Really? 42. Not quite that good. 39 and a half. Okay. He's still shooting okay. 39 and a half. If you told me that he was still shooting 30, 40% from the three point line on January 20th, I'd be, I'd be all in for that, right? The joke was, of course, you know, at some point we're going to look up and he's going to be shooting 31% again. But no, he's still rolling, still taking four, almost four and a half per game. And we're still at almost 40%. Um, that's the most important piece of information before whatever you want to get to on the Marquette side, but had to give you an update there. I appreciate it. You're yeah. Welcome. So, and you were, I was going to mention if you did, right. So they were staring down this gauntlet at 0 3. Mm-hmm. Their reward for this five-game winning streak is Xavier Seton Hall in Providence. But the, at this point, they're fine, mm-hmm. right? You can finish that. You can even come out of this thing under five hundred because you're only going to be a game under five hundred. You got plenty of winnable games after. They've done enough to put themselves very much back in a comfortable spot, and not quite honestly, I don't think they're going to lose all three of these. They just need to keep winning the games they're supposed to they did sort of the quote unquote hard part already. Their last month is, is cupcake stuff. Mm-hmm. They yeah, get to they... play Butler twice. They get to play Georgetown and DePaul and C- and uh, St. John's. They get to play all of those teams again in the last month of the season. Yeah. So they just need to stay afloat and yeah. they are more than doing that at this point. You mentioned that. The and they still don't have any bad losses. So it's not like right. you're trying to get more wins to alleviate a bad loss. Right. And their losses conference... are the Bonnies, Wisconsin, UCLA, Xavier, UConn, and Creighton. I mean, right? the, Bonnies none of those... isn't looking great, but. I mean, neutral site. It, it's not these things. Ha- it, it, yeah. If you gave me, if you gave Shaka Smart at the beginning of the season, that was going to be your worst loss. And maybe they go and lose to Butler at Butler or something like that. Wouldn't shock me, to be honest with you. Just because, I mean, yep. they've they scored 54 against the Bonnies and 56 against UCLA. Like those nights happen. Um, but if you told him at this point, that was going to be their worst loss, he would probably take it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Here, you mentioned the three point shooting. So I wanted to look it up. Here's your stat. You ready for this? Hit me. They are shooting 43.5% from three during this five game winning streak. That's, would, that's, that's pretty good. Would you like to guess what they were shooting through their first 14 games when they were eight and six and 0 and three in conference? 24%. Okay, that's a little extreme. 11%. No, I'm kidding. Again. 2%. Um, um, 29%. 31.5. Okay. I wonder what they were shooting in those four games that they lost. Not that let you me, not let me let me tell you here. Oh man, he's got it locked and loaded, ladies and gentlemen. So the oh four game goodness. the four game losing streak. Bear with me. My computer does not want to behave. Well, I'll just read them off to you. Do it. Now we have 
intrusions. Wait, we might, oh no, we might get. Oh, we were yeah. so close. Okay. All right, they were eight of thirty-three against UCLA, nine of twenty-six against Xavier, five of fifteen okay. against UConn, five of nineteen against Creighton. Okay. So, Go through it one more time. Okay, eight of thirty-three. So that's yep. That's just under twenty-five percent. Right, because eight of thirty-two would be twenty-five. And then you said the oh, next one I was not. It was nine of 20, 20... 24% against UCLA, uh-huh. 35 against Xavier, 33 against UConn, 26 against Creighton. Okay, so Round in eight. the 27% area. Yeah. So, okay. That it is pretty simple. If they shoot the three well with the defense they play, they do all right for themselves and can beat anybody. On any given night, when they don't shoot it well, it gets ugly real quick. <laughs> You're right. But, like, also, like, their worst loss was a, was a nine-point loss at Xavier. Yeah. So it's not like they were getting blown out of right. venue. Oh, they do not games. get blown out. Yeah, that's it. Yep. And, and maybe that should have been appreciated a little more. But, like, UCLA, they lost by – oh, sorry, excuse me, 11. That was their worst game. They lost by 11 to UCLA. But and like n- nine, 16 St. Bonaventure. Oh, I'm talking about in the street. Oh, yeah, yeah. In okay, that in okay, that street. Okay. The 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 16 to the St. Bonaventure that that wasn't pretty. Yeah. Um, but all of the other ones, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the 13 to Wisconsin, like that's you know, they they let them score 89 points. The defense didn't exactly help them that day. But in, especially when you got into conference play, and we were talking about you know eight point losses at worst, and really and usually eight point losses are more like five point losses at least sometimes. I mean, maybe, you know, every once in a while, it's like really it was a 13 point loss, but you made a couple garbage time threes, yep. but it's not like they were getting blown out. So the idea that them shooting it a little better puts them in a position all of a sudden where they're winning games is not, is not exactly shocking. And they just, they're not very good at shooting twos. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest about it. They struggle to generate easy offense. So Right. When you got Daryl Morsell and Justin Lewis, both of whom shoot the ball well, and those are your primary offensive options, you got to hit threes. But if they hit threes, that defense, their energy, it's it's fun to watch. I'm really happy for them and happy for Shaka that this is going well. And who knows what happens next because they just – there is no rhyme or reason, it seems like, other than – Follow what their three-point shooting is, and that'll tell you how they're doing. Yep. It's about right. It's about right. Shouts to Shaka Smart. I think he might be there for a long time. Oh, but we'll yeah. see. But we'll see. Anything else? I think we've run out of games. We run out of games? You got any other yeah. games? You got you games know, on your phone? Only thing I wanted, wanted to mention, San Francisco at Gonzaga tonight. Oh, yes. Have you considered that UConn at Butler might be better? You got Purdue and IU inside yes. Simon Scott Assembly Hall. That's, that's the best. One. That's the best game of the day. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to point out that we have one of our. WCC oh, I'm there. Matchups. I'm there. I'm ready. That yeah, one's in Spokane. Yeah, sixteen. It's actually sixteen point favorites. That's a little. That you I mean at home? That might be a little disrespectful, though. You know what's funny, and, and I suppose every. There are a lot of 
schools that are that their logo is some variation of the letters that make up the first letter of each of their the words in their title mm-hmm. but some of the a lot of them are a little bit more elegant than san francisco's like san francisco <laughs> literally just put sf stacked on top of each other inside of a u like it's not they're not overlapped they don't cross at any point it's literally just an s and an f with around a u I, I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of here for the simplicity. I don't hate it. It's not, I'm, I'm not dogging it. It's just like, when you really look at it, it's like, okay, yeah, they just sort of like, like that's a Microsoft paint uh, level, level logo with all due respect. It doesn't have the, you know, intricacies of the Gonzaga bulldog for, for example, but I'm here for a simple logo. I am. I'm here and for I feel like logo. it's one of those things where right, you look at it and you go, well, that's gotta be really easy to do. And then you try mm. and do it. <laughs> And it looks 10 times, right. There's a, even though it's, it's basic, there is a reason some people are really good at that stuff. It's the graphic design version of like, like I could, I could get French bread and make a ham, turkey and cheese sandwich, just like I can get from Jimmy John's, but like, I'll never make a sandwich that tastes like the one from Jimmy John's. You know what I mean? Like, even though it's incredibly simple, like, why is it so good? I don't really know. But then it's like, okay, right, that just looks weird, and the other one doesn't look weird, but like it's the same components, just for some reason, the flow and just like whatever taste is being created, like you can't, it's like you can't mimic it, you can't mimic it, anyways. Um, but yeah, good weekend of, of basketball coming up. You got Michigan State, Wisconsin on Friday night, um, inside the Cole Center, then you've got. Kentucky and Auburn at two on Saturday. Baylor goes to the fighting Porter Mosers on Saturday afternoon. LSU and Tennessee uh, at six o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, UCLA going to the buffs of Colorado on Saturday night. That's a, that's one that should produce some intriguing basketball and the golden eagles are hosting the Xavier Musketeers. Imagine if they go six straight one in those games. Six straight one in those games. That would be absolutely ridiculous, but a pretty good weekend of college basketball, and we'll come to talk about it on Monday. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the pod bean. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh, and we will see you later.